My name is Lydia Nobles, and you're listening to Summer Shorts. Cool, thank you. <laughs> so, um, Lydia, you know, first of all, this exhibition is wonderful. We're sitting inside of Latchkey Gallery, and we've just done a little bit of a walkthrough and chatted with the gallerist here. But I wanted you to talk about your own work that's in the exhibition, and maybe you could tell us first a little bit more about your project. Yes. Well, to put it into context, the show is curated by Charles Moore, and I think what he really wanted to focus on was works that have to do with current issues in the news. Yeah. And then also really thinking about how, you know, these issues happen at a certain point in time and then they kind of blow up, kind of like the abortion stuff right now. And then it just like drifts out and everyone forgets about it. Yes. I've been thinking about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Lately. Yeah. You know, um, I, I was talking to someone about something else that I'm working on and they said, oh, that's so timely. And I said, no, it would be timely at any time. It's just that it gets more attention at certain points in time. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that's really what ties all the work together. And then my project in particular is called As I Sit Waiting. And I'm interviewing people who've had experiences with abortion access, creating a sculpture in honor of their experience. And then in this show particularly, I'm doing something a little bit different than mm -hmm. what I did at Field Projects. I have two different experiences that are juxtaposed. So Kat, she didn't have access to an abortion. She wanted one and she fully intended to get one, but she missed the cutoff by oh, a couple wow. days. Yeah. Yeah, that was oh god really tough interview so cat she actually brought the baby home for two weeks she was a bit pressured by the hospital staff and this was in 2007 um she knew that she wanted an abortion and then you know she kind of just existed through her pregnancy and then when she gave birth she did kind of succumb to the peer pressure at the hospital so she brought the baby home for two weeks and she really did want to try but you know, she was only 18 at the time, so she ended up bringing the baby back to the hospital. She was experiencing really bad postpartum. She was yeah. having like postpartum hallucinations. And so really honestly, the best thing for her and the best thing for the baby was to give it up for adoption. And what's interesting about this is that was in 2007. So even before, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Not everyone had access. And I think that's something that a lot of people just don't know. And I personally, yeah, I didn't realize that until I started doing a lot more research about abortion. And it's not something that's, I mean, now it's publicized on the news. However, before all this abortion news, we didn't even know that. And then the other story is Deja. This was in 2020, she was pregnant and she ended up giving I mean, she ended up having an abortion. For me, it's really important to recognize that 2007 and then 2020, and they're both in different states where access is kind of restricted at this Difficult. point. Yeah. yeah, or right now is Yeah, right now, restricted. both is yeah. like restricted. And what's interesting about Deja's story is she was pregnant with twins, and I feel like she really struggled. She already had two kids, and so I think she was really struggling if she wanted to get an abortion in the first place. But, you know, looking at the reality of her situation, she felt like that was the best decision. 
And then when she gets to the clinic, she told them that she didn't want to know anything about it unless it was multiples. Right. And then it ended up Oh my God. Multiples. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like then she kind of felt that turmoil again about like if she should keep the babies or not. However, you know, going from two kids and then all the way to, to four. four and you're a single mom, it's just not really possible. I mean, financially, yeah. Yeah. that would just be horrible. Yeah, it's so devastating that there isn't um, better government support of parents who are single parents, that there isn't better, you know, like, I mean, we've all talked about this at this point, but really the thing that I think is so interesting in both of those stories is that this has, it's always been the case that people have had trouble accessing abortion everywhere, even when Roe v. Wade was not overturned. <laughs> um, and I feel like this is, again, like, as you were saying with Charles, with the um, curating the show, like there's a timeliness, but there's also a persistence. And like, I see that in your work too. Like you care so deeply about this project and like, it didn't matter, you know, like there, there's always been insane things happening with reproductive rights in the United States. Yeah. And the fact that right now this feels like it's a really, really like top of the news topic doesn't mean that it's going to stay a top of the news topic, right? Like we're settling into a normality of this, a normality of living after Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And that's doesn't mean that this project is going to go away, right? And like you are going to keep working on it, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you can speak to that a little bit more. Yes. Um, but maybe before we go into your future plans about the project, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, you have worked with me and with Jacob at Field Projects before, but I want to talk to you more about how these are kind of offerings, um, both of like seeing someone's narrative and then interpreting it, and then it's kind of, it's their waiting room chair. They're not spiritual, but they, they are kind of like these gifts or votive gifts or something like that. So do you think of them that way or am I kind of? Um, I think of, so when I was in the waiting room and I know you wrote about this in your yeah. like amazing curatorial <laughs> statement. <laughs> when I was in the waiting room, it's a really pivotal experience for yeah. me because in Planned Parenthood in New York City, it's in the city. So of course it's on multiple floors. So I was like going in the elevator, like <laughs> to all these different waiting rooms. But what I thought was really interesting was that you know, these are old, like, in some of the waiting rooms, it was, like, older wooden chairs, and, of course, like, the cushions were, like, really worn out, and I just started really thinking about the memory, and so I think that's mm. really what's mm -hmm. driven the whole of waiting course. room experience is, like, and then I start thinking about, like, um, you know, I don't know if you believe in this, but some people, when they believe that, like, when you're born, you take on some of your mom's, like, trauma, or, like, in blueprint almost mm -hmm. and so I believe in that and that's something I also was thinking about how like we're all interconnected and whether you have like if you give birth eventually maybe to a different baby and earlier you had an abortion and how those kind of interconnect and if we're all like we're actually in my opinion we're all connected to abortion in some way yeah. and it benefits us in some way yes yeah, yeah. I totally believe in intergenerational trauma and like all of, I mean, I think of it in that way, but I agree. You know, I really, and I do think that, first of all, everyone benefits from access to healthcare that is safe and healthcare that is unbiased, 
right? And like, I think that's such a big part of the problem with abortion right now is that now it's unsafe. It's still necessary and desirable. It's still highly beneficial to many people. It's being treated as if it's not beneficial, right? And that's the problem is it's a great benefit to be able to choose when to reproduce. You should be able to choose when to reproduce and when not to. It's not the right time to reproduce a lot of the times. <laughs> and I wanted to circle back to what you said about Deja's story, about yeah. how like, you know, it would be great if there was more um, access for parents. And yes, of course, 100% I agree with that. And I asked Deja about that particularly in her interview because I was like, because she was so torn about whether she should get an abortion or not. So I was like, well, if you did have more resources, would you have kept your pregnancy? And that she said that even if she had more resources, she wouldn't have kept the pregnancy. Yeah. And that really shines a light on like, there's so much, you know, finances is a big part of it. And there's other factors like yes, the relationship totally. you have with your partner is so important. Yes. And I think she really saw the real effects of not having a good relationship with the dad of the kids that she did have now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that men really, in particular, benefit from abortion. I mean, if you think about it, one in four women have had an abortion, and so one in four men have of they've course. benefited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I at the very end of the podcast interview that we did called Abortion is a Human Right, Jacob talks about his abortion that he had with his partner when he was 17, you know, and like more men need to be vocal about that or men identifying people, whatever, like anyone who has been within this, the nexus of abortion, right? Within the network of people who benefit from it should all be talking about it. Like, even if that's the parents of a person who had an abortion, right? Like they're also benefiting. There's so many. Yes. Like, <laughs> Parents are benefiting. My parents are benefiting. <laughs> you know, um, and so I feel like this project is really powerful for that. And also the narratives are so moving, right? Like I feel like I want to cry every single time that I listen to any of the interviews in a good way, in like both positive and in, in very sad ways too. Um, and it's just so, um, I feel important as a documentation project, but also again, as a project that, that focusing on chairs has allowed you to focus on the body and also on the kind of like way that it retains, these objects are retaining memory um, and sort of the memory of the body in a chair. There's a lot there. And so I appreciate too, having this in this kind of exhibition, which is so much more, it's much more open right and i was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the show here um like how did how did the curator contact you did they just hear about your work on like through social media or did you know them previously actual well, field projects has been a huge resource for me actually <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> doing that instagram yeah. takeover was like cool. i recommend that to any artist if they have the opportunity cool. um however charles i actually was introduced to him through another artist around four years ago. Yeah. And Charles is really great about inviting, you know, up and coming artists to different events. And I think that, you know, if you have someone in your life like that and they're inviting you to things, just trying to show up as much as possible because, um, you know, art is so much about community and like it's really important to Definitely. Like, show up and be present and be in like deep celebration of other artists. 
you know, even if you're not there yet, it's like exciting to see like what's possible. It's like permission slip that that could happen for you. And I think that was kind of my mindset around just showing up to all the different events that Charles invited me to. And then he was putting together this. I think also languaging helped. Um, you know, the way I was speaking about the project and, yeah. you know, I think he became aware of it actually through my fiscal sponsorship because I was like, I'm doing this amazing project, like, yeah, yeah. I'm check reaching it out. out. If you know anyone <laughs> who wants to donate. Yeah, so if you know anyone who wants to donate, <laughs> donate to Lydia. There will be a link in the bottom of the uh, podcast description. Yeah, so... <laughs> That was kind of my entry point. And then, you know, I think I invited him to like the show at Field Projects. I don't think he, he made it, but I think just the right. repetition of seeing something that you're working on. And I think it's really consistency and dedication. You guys really encouraged me. I had the idea, obviously, when I applied for the open call, and then you guys really encouraged me to like keep going. And for me, I really thrive under like accountability. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that really yeah. helped. And then just keeping up that consistency of like this project's not going away. And I don't yeah. care if like the news is popping or not. Like this yeah. is going to keep going. And then also like most of the stories are from people I've connected with on social media. And so you know there's 26 stories and I've already filled up that but now I have like a waiting list of people Huge. who want to be involved and want to share their story and I think the sculptures just add like an extra step like you can share your story on like many different platforms and I think that's really important but I think the sculptures like almost provide like some closure for some people yeah and I feel like that's really valuable and something that I'm like really honored to be able to facilitate for people yeah it does feel like it could be ongoing forever I know yes. that you've capped I know that you've capped it at 26 but I feel like you it's so beautiful to create an archive an archive that might provide closure you know as you say like you can share your story about how your life has intersected with abortion in lots of different platforms, right? It could just be existent on social media, it could be part of an online archive, but it's really different for it to be part of your sculptural artistic practice. Um, and on top of that, to have a physical manifestation of your experience, I think is probably very healing for a lot of people. And so that's part of why too, I'm like encouraging of your continuing to make and work on the project. But also, if you want to create an archive that is an online archive, which you've done also, that's also really, really powerful, right? Like watching the videos of people talking about their abortion experiences is really moving. And watching it in collaboration with the chairs and with the sculptures also I think is like sort of key in figuring out how that interacts or playing around with how that interacts is also maybe like a future direction <laughs> yeah i'm working on actually right now they're all getting 3d um rendered cool. so on the website you'll be able to like spin them around wow. digitally <laughs> i'm really excited about it yeah i actually met the guy who's going to do that for me through the opening at this space cool so you never know that's like, great that's <laughs> really great happen. yeah yeah and i think um you know what i'm really thinking about is like the person's energy in the interview yes. and like how that relates to colors and then different key points that stick out for me that really like heart-wrenching or just 
something you know every story is like so unique it's like a fingerprint and so like just picking up on what makes each story unique and then how can I convey that through sculpture and then of course like the sculptures are you know they're visceral all of them that's like a key thread I think through all my work no matter if it's about abortion yeah. or not and then um yes it's very bodily visceral yes, yes. <laughs> I love all that stuff yes <laughs> um and you know something I I've, I've been thinking a lot about is I think that people struggle with the visceral aspect of it in some cases and you know I just would like people to remember that like birth is not beautiful no it's you know it's very visceral yeah. and I mean I think it's beautiful but like some people you know it makes you feel a little uncomfortable and that's because we don't see it that often it's a profusion of the body in a way and it's also like a interior being made exterior and it's lots of like it feels like it's yeah. breaking a lot of bodily boundaries um and i think that's why people are frequently uncomfortable with how visceral it feels to experience birth watching birth giving birth like all of the and also it's super super fucking painful yeah too. <laughs> it's like not forget There's about that, that. <laughs> yeah um, so even yeah. though these are about abortion i don't think that it doesn't really matter like the visceral is beautiful and i'd like people to think about like how that plays into like patriarchal constructs the fact that you think something is uncomfortable contemplate how that was developed and where it really came from like is it yes. really your true belief or is it just a belief because you've never seen it and it's uncomfortable for you because you don't even know what it looks like that it's sort of um been purposefully made mysterious you know i've been i was talking to my class about the j marion sims monument that i'm teaching about is one of the sites that i've taken them to j marion sims is seen as the father of gynecology um, but we were talking about, and this great conclusion that we came to was that he isn't the father of gynecology yeah. at all because there was a whole practice of communal gynecology for thousands of years, and there still is. But this idea of doctors coming in and pushing out midwives and pushing out communal healthcare and medicine. I mean, birth was a shared experience with people that you knew for so long. Um, and really at the end of the 1800s, physicians coming in and trying to take the practice of midwives and then kind of flip it into clinical, scientific, individual gynecology is just like the complete opposite of what like a very healing, good kind of experience could be. You know, if birth was treated as a communal thing, abortion would also be treated as a communal thing, right? We would have more people talking about how much they benefit from it, whether we're talking about parents or <laughs> partners, right, <laughs> or whatever. So I don't know. I think it's deeply connected to this kind of anesthetizing or this kind of turn in medicine toward the individual instead of the communal is really such a big part of how abortion ends up being criminalized, you know, in the United States and elsewhere. Sorry, that's a long rant. Um, <laughs> no, but it's something it's really that I've been thinking about a lot lately, you know, and I think that these sculptures really touch on that and you're really bringing community back into abortion in a way that's really powerful. But could you maybe describe this piece for us a little bit? Because obviously this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the chair and like maybe talk about why, like maybe some of the reasoning and this is really beautiful by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, and the colors are really different than like some of the other colors that you've used. Yeah, yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot about the colors and I had like this tendency to go dark. I actually painted Deja's like it was so beautiful. It was all in dark colors yeah. and hers is like, um, Hers actually, I think both of these have a little bit of a monument feel to them. Definitely. And I think um, Deja's is like a, almost like an egg shape that's like cut in half. And then it has two columns going up that are hollowed out. Um, each side represents, you know, one of her twins. And then in the center between the columns is like another um, hollowed out part. Mm -hmm. And so... I think with the hollowed out part in the center, I was really thinking about Deja's emotions around it, you know? The twins are represented and then just really thinking about, you know, her feeling, that struggle that she was feeling. Yeah, um, so Deja's piece like really feels like kind of a throne to me too. You know, yes, like the way I that it's that. kind of got the two twins on the side and then the kind of like hole in the center, but it really feels like so made for her body to be there or something too. Um, and then you have another piece. Yes, so Kat, um, she's the one who gave her baby up for adoption and Kat, um, it's a column up through the center and then it's on a platform and about halfway through the column there's like two arms that yeah. cur curl around and then from connecting the arm to the platform are um flower petals kind of like vine and then um well everything is painted with ombres because <laughs> i love yes. ombre painting and airbrushed with acrylics and for cats, I think, well, one, the column is, like, a little bit violent, I mm -hmm. think. But then also she has, like, these arms, so mm -hmm. it's, like, comforting. Um, and then I felt like the flowers just really honored her in a way because it's, like, her baby's out there somewhere. And I think she recognizes that. However, she, like, knows that she just, like, intuitively is just not that baby's mom yeah and she understands that and she like knew that right away and so I think it's just really honoring Kat and like her ability to mm -hmm. say no yeah her resilience and her persistence and I mean the project is so much about persistence um and resiliency but I love the idea of having those flowers again like I really I don't know. It feels like they're kind of offerings just because, especially like the flowers, like you kind mm. of, you're maybe not giving these as gifts to the pe to the people whose stories you're telling, but it is a gift. It's a gift to have your story sort of made into this material form and to kind of have it exist in the historical record in the way that you're making objects as a historical record of like people's lives and what's happened to them and their choices and and they're like reasoning around their choices too which so often gets like completely left out you know it's easy to attest to yes this thing happened to me or i i did this thing or i made this decision but so often the nuances of how that comes about is completely left out um and so that's also i think like one of the wonderful things looking at the work and then also the videos and kind of seeing them in relation to each other and they do all have their own mood right like you were talking about their kind of energy that they have like they yeah. have their own energy 
you know, and and that kind of violent one in Cats, like the yeah, it's whatever also, one the columns also hollowed out, mm-hmm. so, but like it's a very thin hollowing. That's what I mean. The hollowed out part of it is sort of the thing that feels violent to me. So maybe as we are getting closer to the end of our talk, both about your work but also about the show, I'd like to know both if you have future plans or if you have future sculptures or projects that you're working on and also um, like some final wrap-up thoughts that we'll do about the show. But maybe can you tell us about your future plans personally, either on the project or just with your art practice or if you're working on a different project too, I would love to know. (laughs) You're like, no, this is too much. This is like very... (laughs) I'm still on it. I told you guys, so my plan is to have 26 finished and I told field projects I'd have them all done by spring. (laughs) That just like never happened. It's like a lot more work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I think it is. But I'm glad I gave myself that deadline because I think I got a lot more of these done. I have about 15 complete great and I have a solo show of all 26 opening in um September another deadline good yeah (laughs) another deadline (laughs) can you tell us where it's impending um that's curated by Destiny Ross Sutton and it's gonna be at Ross Sutton Gallery cool congratulations thank you that's great you really deserve it I mean they they deserve to be shown Everyone's stories deserve to be told, but also you really deserve the solo show. It's been so much work. Thank you. And also, obviously, it took longer than the spring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just so much to make these. I mean, they really are monumental. Like, they are chair size or larger sculptures. So it just takes time also to kind of process the energy of the people and the interviews. And, like, all of that must be, A, a lot of emotional work on your part, but just, like, physical labor you know that takes time yeah I think the video editing is the most challenging part for really me. even though it's easy to edit videos yeah it's re-listening and oftentimes I'm like crying oh. like a few times I mean <laughs> obviously so moving um so I noticed oh, myself like trying to put that off to the last minute <laughs> that's tough yeah but um yeah I think it's I think back to what you said too about how like even though it's not a gift that the person gets to keep, I think everyone really enjoys that the public gets to enjoy it. And so what I'm really hoping is that after the solo show, maybe someone will be interested in helping me, like... Bring it to the public. Bring it or to... something. Yeah, bring it to states that just don't have the access. You yeah. know, in New York City, it's amazing. I'm really honored I have a solo show. Yeah. And everyone... Not everyone in New York City, but majority of people yeah, here. You want you to know. take it to like Georgia or something. Yeah, you exactly. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Even if just one or two could get into different group shows, that would be amazing. But I also do feel like I'm going to continue past the 26. I think my next goal is 50 or total, including the 26. Yeah. I think next year is the 50, would have been the 50th anniversary of. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. So, oof. So now you're just setting another impossible goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, that's my, I'm a queen of doing that. Like yeah. Big impossible goals and then I make it like three-fourths Good. to the goal. <laughs> that's, that is how you make like big ambitious work. You yeah. know, you set a goal for yourself that you know and that at some point you have to be kind to yourself and be like, it's okay, I'm just not going to make it. But, <laughs> yeah. but I really feel like it's true. Like no one gets any like... There are so many amazing projects are only seen as a half project by the person who did it. 
you know what I mean? Like their yeah. imaginary of what they were going to get done. And then the reality of making it happen is like, it's never the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one exactly. else needs to know. <laughs> exactly. So that's really cool. I really am hopeful. I'm not just hopeful. I think that you probably will have these travel in shows, um, especially if it's the kind of thing where you're willing to be like, group shows are fine. We can send these out into the world. I'm oh, yeah. Sure I think for there's you. going to be a huge push of yeah. abortion shows. I agree I completely. The right term, but... <laughs> yeah. Abortion shows. I know. I mean, that does take us back to the exhibition, though, and this idea of, like, something being trendy or, like, on topic or something. And yeah. I, I agree with you that there's going to be abortion shows, but I hope that they're happening 10 years from now and not just in the next year and a half. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know that they will happen in the next year and a half, but my point about your work, too, is just that it is part of, like, creating art contributes to the historical record and I really feel like it's important that the project continues for a long time and I definitely see you you are planning to do that which is great yeah I'm really enjoying too like I feel like the ones I started at field projects like I was more attached to like repurposing like older chairs or like older furniture and now I'm realizing like the suggestion of sitting can be like much more broader yeah in a way so now I'm like creating my own structures and I love that I feel like they keep getting better and better (laughs) as I progress and I'm enjoying the play in that yeah I mean I feel like it it also is just letting an idea ferment right like letting it sit around with you for a long time and kind of coming to understand the project through working on it you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's great that the first ones are like straight up using chair forms and like appropriated pieces of chairs and things like that because it sort of shows the progress of it coming literally from your experience in a chair. <laughs> like being in the waiting room, yeah, waiting for your like, abortion. The first one is so literal. <laughs> I know, but like it really shows the progress of this into this like very sculptural artistic project where you're translating the energy of the people in this video. But it's coming directly from your material, like, physical experience in the waiting room. Um, so, you know, it's not just, like, a historical record of their experiences. It's also about you, A, coming to know more about other people's abortion experiences. But then also your own experience, like, making these things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then to bring it back to the, you know, the show in its entirety, I think that the show really touches a lot on racism and Mm -hmm. gender, Um, not just, you know, abortion access, but other aspects of gender, like being a mom. Um, And racism is really interlinked to abortion access. Totally, yes. Maybe even one of the primary parts of what is happening right now. Um, And so I think it's really interesting to see, like, the different perspectives of, like, you know, people talking about racism and how it's talked about in the news and, you know, Callie's work is like also, in my opinion, very visceral, but in a very different way. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting how these topics are interlinked. And yet, yeah, the same thing. They're in the news and then they're not, but they're all connected. Yeah. Callie's work is so powerful and moving. Um, And it really has like, it very much is grounded in like, the history of different materials and how they've been used and, like, the racialized ways that materials are used in the United States and, like, there's so much in there. All of the... I actually have to say I'm very impressed with all of the works in the show. Some of the artists I was, like, 
I knew I know very well. But some people are new to me completely and are also making like totally fascinating work. So I encourage everyone to come to the show. When is it open through July? 30th. 30th. Okay, so there's a lot of time to come see the show, which is great. <laughs> and you really should. And the videos are up as well as the chairs, which is wonderful. Please do come. Thank you so much for chatting with us. You're yes, the thanks, second man. summer short. <laughs> Yay! Uh, That's a so very cute. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank and you. also just thank you for the opportunity at Field Projects. I think that really transformed my relationship to like actually it also kind of ties back into like how do these people participate past you know just the interview and then the sculpture is like going instagram live and yeah. like if they're open to you know sharing more and then that just adds another layer of engagement and that's something i really leaned into at field projects that was really amazing i have to say like listening into the Instagram lives and like hearing people directly talk about their experience with the audience of people who watch Field Project's Instagram lives was also a really interesting thing, right? Or just with you, you know, it's a way to like expand their experience with you and their interaction with you. And again, I think it's about community, like having this community A support and B awareness is so important. So again, please You'll see a link in the bottom if you want to donate or help support Lydia in other ways in her work. There will be a couple of links at the bottom. You can also find more information about the exhibition in the show notes. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> this is Field Pod Summer Short. Have a great summer. Bye. start chatting but I'm gonna like I know it's because I Jacob was like makes fun of this so much but it's so effective and free you know because like a pop filter is like this fancy you know you see those like they look like squirrel tails on the ends of mics yeah